It's a joy to be with you here on the first day after my ordination to the diaconate and first day of preaching. I feel like it's providential to be able to preach for the first time on the day of Pentecost. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he told his disciples to go back to Jerusalem and to wait there for the gift of God that would be sent to them. And so they did. The Acts of the Apostles tells us that they were gathered there with Mary and some other women waiting and praying for 10 days. They were praying and they were waiting, not even knowing exactly what they were waiting for. Jesus had spoken to them several times of the Holy Spirit in his time with them, but it seems that they never fully captured what he was speaking about. And then all of a sudden, the scripture says, there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. Then there appeared to them tongues as of fire, which parted and came to rest on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim. In that moment, the church was born. And it's incredible, isn't it, that the whole Catholic Church fit in one room. There might not have been any more of them there in that room than those, the 25 of us gathered here. The whole church was born there. And from a human perspective, the church must have seemed so fragile. It was like an echo of the manger in Bethlehem, where who could have known that this little child would grow up to be the savior of the world? Well, who could have known that these 25 people, mostly uneducated fishermen, would go out and evangelize the whole world? That 2,000 years later, there would be billions of people who believe in Christ because of their testimony. But that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, what those few received in that room spilled out of that room, and others were drawn in. The scripture says, At this sound... They gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they began to look around and say, you're from Mesopotamia, he's from Judea, he's from Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia. From all over the known world, they were gathered there in Jerusalem for the feast, and they were all hearing in their own language. They say, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. Listen again to that line, because it could be a model for the new evangelization. He says, they say, yet we hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty acts of God. So there are two parts. First, in our own tongues. That is... They hear the good news in a way that they can understand, in a way that's relevant to them. Like they could say, now we're talking. Now you're speaking my language. And second, they hear of the mighty acts of God. That is, that God is alive, that he's at work, that he's on the move in the world. So let's look at each of these two parts. First, in our own tongues. The good news isn't news at all if no one understands it. As Catholics, I think we have the best news in the world. That the Son of God loved us and gave himself up for us. That on the third day, the Spirit rose him to life. And now he invites us to a new life with him. 
And that's so beautiful and it's so good. But unless we can figure out how to communicate to, that pe- to people in a way that, that they can understand and that's relevant, well, it's not news at all. It'd be like you know, printing the Oregonian in Swahili. You can do the finest reporting in the world, but no one's going to get it. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to translate the good news. On Pentecost, he gave the apostles the power to preach in many different languages. And this remarkable miracle was like a sign of the slower and more patient work that he would do after this first outpouring. So in the rest of the the New Testament, rather than the Holy Spirit giving them this miraculous gift of, of preaching in other languages, he does the deep work of moving in their hearts and, and giving them the patience and the love to learn other languages. St. Peter, for example, was a fisherman from Galilee and was sent to Rome. And he would have known the rudiments of, of the Greek language as a trader, as a fisherman. He would have known just enough to get by. But he was sent there to the capital of the known world and he had to preach the gospel in Greek. So he had to learn. And he did. In fact, in the New Testament, we have a letter written by Peter in Greek, maybe with the help of a scribe, but it's a fruit of that creativity and determination which comes from love. And love is the deepest work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. St. Paul says the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. And that work of translation didn't end with the New Testament because the Holy Spirit keeps inspiring men and women to go out and find a way to make the gospel relevant in new cultures and new places and new languages. Some centuries later, in a literal way, the the missionary brothers Cyril and Methodius were sent to the Slavic peoples and they had to invent an alphabet in order to write the gospel to these people in the Slavic language because the Slavic people didn't have an alphabet yet. So that now we have the Cyrillic uh, alphabet named after St. Cyril. Methodius got left out, I think, because his name was too long. Some centuries later, the Jesuit missionary Matteo Ricci was sent to China. And he was one of the great minds of Europe. So he went there and he completely immersed himself in the Chinese culture. His goal was to enter the forbidden city, and preached to the the imperial court. But basically no one was allowed there. So he became like a Chinese sage. He learned the language, the culture. He immersed himself. He grew a long beard and began to dress as as a Chinese wise man. Well, he still was not let in until finally the clock that they had given the emperor as a gift broke, and he was the only one who knew how to fix it. So they finally let him in the court. That was his inn. And then he began to preach the gospel with great success in the imperial court. Well, Portland also has its own unique culture. And so we have to figure out what it means to speak Portland's language. I noticed the timber scarfs upstairs in the Newman Center and the, and the recycled wood table in the, in the room in the back. Well, they're small gestures, but they're important. They're little ways of saying we want to speak Portland's language. I think in a much deeper way, the ministry to the homeless that's beginning is something that is relevant to the people of Portland. They see it as a real problem, 
and their hearts are moved. And so they can see how good the gospel is when it goes and brings the mercy of God to those people. But maybe even more important than learning Portland's language is learning the language of those individual people that God has placed among us. Because each person is somehow her own world with her own subculture, her own language, her own desires, her own dreams. And so to really connect, we have to learn each person's language. You know, there might be someone in your life that you just haven't connected with. It's like you speak two different languages. Maybe you live in the same house. Maybe you've been locked under the same roof because of COVID for the last three months. But it's like you miss each other. Well, today, let's ask the Holy Spirit for that gift of being able to go out of ourselves and connect. That gift of love that takes us out of ourselves and leads us to patiently, creatively find a way to connect with the other person. Today is Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit is pouring himself out. He's going to be generous today. So let's ask the God for that specific grace to be able to connect. The second part of the description of the new evangelization speaks of the mighty acts of God. And this is essential because you know, we could all get tattoos and we could turn St. Michael's into a dog shelter slash vegan cafe. And we would be speaking Portland's language. But we wouldn't necessarily be proclaiming the mighty acts of God. On Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and he proclaimed the mighty acts of God. What are the mighty acts of God? The mighty act of God is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was dead and for three days he was in the tomb. And then the Holy Spirit raised him up. But since the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has never ceased doing mighty acts. In fact, the whole book of the Acts of the Apostles is, is a testament of those. They went out in the power of the Holy Spirit and they healed the sick. And they cast out demons and they raised the dead. Those are the most remarkable of the mighty acts. But the mightiest act of the Spirit is the conversion of the human heart. You know, Jesus told the apostles that if they had faith the size of a mustard seed, they could move mountains. And to us, it seems like a, a crazy hyperbole. But the conversion of a heart is more difficult and more important than moving a mountain. A mountain seems like the most stable thing in this world, but over the course of millions of years, it erodes and passes away. Geologists say that the Smoky Mountains on the East Coast, which to us seem like hills, were once higher than the Himalayas. But that's what time does. Mountains pass away, but the human soul is eternal. It never passes away. And although our superficial opinions and, and feelings might change from one day to the next, our deepest convictions are tougher than granite. There is no mightier work than the transformation of a human heart. And if you've ever tried to change yourself, you know how impossible it is. It's a work that only God can do, and He does. I know it's a work that we need so badly right now. We're all aware of the violence, 
the racial violence that's happened in this country. And you know, we can see that over the course of the years, laws have changed. And institutions have changed. And they still need to change more. But until the human heart changes, nothing will ever change. Until we can do that deep work of rooting violence out of our hearts and hatred. Maybe it's not violence that we have, but there's something in us that only the Holy Spirit can change. It's a work that only He can do. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to come on us and on our country to transform us from within and make us agents of peace and of reconciliation. You know, just before I left Washington, D.C., a man wrote me a letter sharing the story of his conversion with me. He wrote it as kind of like a story in the third person of his own life. And I want to hear it in Spanish, but I'll translate it for you. He said, There was once a man who was full of anger, resentment, and unhappiness, and discontentment with life. For years, he tried to be different, but he was bound by many chains. Then one good day, one good day, he says, what is that one good day? The one good day is the day the Holy Spirit entered his life and did in his heart what he could never do for himself. And now I know this man, he's a new man. He's transformed. He doesn't live any longer for himself, but for those around him. He has a kind of radiance and a joy. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The mighty acts of God are still taking place in our midst. And today is Pentecost. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and give us a new impulse of love to do that patient, creative work of finding a way to connect and proclaim the mighty acts of God.